Mountaintop Conversations with Allison Felix. I'm Wes Felix, co-founder of Sage and co-host of this show with Allison. On Mountaintop Conversations, we celebrate the stories and experiences of leaders across politics, entrepreneurship, and culture. Each guest has scaled their own personal mountaintop and hopes to light the path for others to scale new heights themselves. Today, we are talking with Stuart Dugat, founder of Evolve Agency. He is co-founder of Kinlo. He is an incredible sports agent in the tennis world. And our other guest doesn't need any introduction. She is multi-hyphenate and tennis legend Naomi Osaka. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, Naomi, I have to tell you, I'm just such a huge fan of you. I love watching you play, but I think more than anything, I'm just so proud of you and you've really taken a different path and it just makes me so happy to see. But before we get into all of the things, how are you feeling? How's pregnancy treating you? Um, How are you doing? Thank you. Uh, I have like a a short story about like when I first saw a poster of you, but I'm going to like talk about that later. But it's it's really cool (laughs) to hear you say that. Um, I'm feeling a little tired, but I think for the most part, pregnancy is treating me well. So I'm happy with that. Good. I remember when I was pregnant and I was training and I think that was the first feeling was just like I was just always exhausted and there was a long period of time that I didn't tell anybody and so I was trying to go through these workouts and like still try to do everything I did before and I was it was just a lot so I'm glad that it is treating you well. Did you train until um, how far along were you? If you don't mind me asking. Um, I, I competed until I was about a little over two months Right. And then um, I trained all the way through. Trained all the way I through. I did. Yeah. And I felt great. I felt really strong. I think yeah. it's interesting because I like tried to do this deep dive of like people who had done that. And there's just like not a lot of information on it. And like, OK, how hard can you push yourself? And I think what my doctors told me was like, as long as you've been doing this, like it's fine to keep at it at the same pace and just listen to your body. You know, when you're feeling tired, you rest and Um, it's hard to, I think like to kind of switch your mindset from training for competition versus training just your body without like, you know, all those trying to like measure it in so many different ways. It's like, okay, you're, you're just trying to stay active so that when you do give birth, you're able to like be at some level of being ready to come back. Yeah. Stu, how are you? I'm great. And I guess like context, because this for us is kind of cool because you know, Allison and I have this really unique, like athlete, agent, manager relationship being brother, sister. Um, and I remember the first time I met you, Stu, and we were talking about Naomi. And this was this was a long 2018, 2017, something like that. And and just to hear the, the kind of partnership that you two have. Um, it's even weird for me as we were getting ready to schedule this to call you just Naomi's agent didn't feel didn't feel right. You guys feel so much more like partners, like a team. Um, so just wanted to, to have some context. Um, but also what you guys are building is incredible. And I'm excited for us to talk about that. But yeah, how are you doing? I'm great. And the 
first of all, apologies for stealing your name. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. When, when, when I when Wes, uh, got in touch about the podcast, I was like, Wes, I don't have his email address. So I was searching through and then I saw it was like Wes at, I can't remember your variation of Evolve, but yeah. close to yeah. ours. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> well, it just it, it just means we have it we have a good name, yeah, great right? Minds With great well. minds, yes, great minds. Yeah, um, but no, I'm doing great. Thanks, and yeah, it's been um, you know fascinating to watch watch your journey and evolution as well, and um, you know, in, in inspiration to to both of us on many levels. So mm -hmm. good cool. to be here. Well, yeah, we're we're excited to like to dive in and unpack a little bit of of all the cool stuff that that you guys are doing. Um, so, Allison, like, no real surprise that. You started with with the pregnancy piece. I think that there's a lot there. Um, maybe you could share with Naomi a little bit of just kind of what those experiences were like for you. The training, you know, the being a professional athlete, being pregnant, and and getting ready to come back. Yeah, I mean, I had always wanted to be a mother, and so it was something I knew I wanted to do, and because of my situation, it was different. I was hiding my pregnancy. And so I was training at like four o'clock in the morning. And I, for me, it was like a lot of what I expected it to be. It wasn't, you know, because it wasn't this moment that was like happy and, you know, joyous. It was like, I was isolated. I literally stayed in the house, wore baggy clothes, like never came out. Um, and yeah, but I did a lot of, you know, training by myself. Um, and I felt really good. Uh, the whole way through. And I had, unfortunately, I had a traumatic birth experience. Um, I had a severe case of preeclampsia. And then um, I had this whole plan of like, of course, an athlete, like a massive plan of like how I was going to come back. I was like, okay, four weeks later, I'm going to be back training. Like I had seen other people and I'm like, okay, four weeks after I had emergency C-section. And so I was in the hospital for a while. My daughter was in the hospital for a month. Um, she was two months early being born. And so it just didn't go according to planned at all. And so it was just like this realization that I have to, that I had to really um, not be on my own path. Like it's whatever anybody else did before, that's great for them, but it's, it, it doesn't apply to me. So I think it was just like a, an experience where I had to be really open. And once I, you know, came back, I started to feel like myself again. Um, it, it took some time, but then I started to, yeah, continue and progress from there. How does it, how has it felt for you so far? Has it been this thing where, where you've been, have you balanced it? Like, also being a tennis player, also being this person that everybody's like looking at and having expectations of. That's something, you know, as Allison's older brother that I felt a lot of, that was hard. Like I wanted her to have this moment just as her. And I think that there's also this, this role that she plays in the world, this role that you play in the world, but you're still just, still just you, you know? And I think a lot of times people forget that part. They don't like, they don't touch on that part. And I always, I, I think of it as like, people are always looking at you, but they never see you. Um, but yeah, what's your experience been like with it so far? That's a very hard question. <laughs> um, you know, what's funny is though, is when you were saying like four weeks later, you're gonna be back to training. That's my exact plan. <laughs> it's just um, what we do, I think, as athletes. <laughs> and you know, like I know, 
like you can only take it one day at a time mm-hmm. and that's life so i'm gonna really try to focus on that and i'm gonna think about you <laughs> a lot um but yeah i think for me i'm just trying to take this year to like relax mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. um since i won my first slam everything's been happening really really fast for me and i've never really had time to process it as much as i wanted to um and even when i look back on it, i was talking with my mom and she was like oh that was just five years ago and when i think about it five years is a very short time but it feels like such a long time ago in my brain so i think um I don't know, just taking the time to like be around my loved ones and my friends. And because I know when I'm going back on the road, I won't see them as much. So just trying to, I guess, ground myself a lot. I love that. Does that resonate at all for you? I think it's so important because, you know, living this lifestyle, it is go, go, go. And there's never time to reflect. There's never time to sit still. Um, And I think it's like such a special time in your life. Like there's no better time to do all of those things. And like you said, you know, like you're going to come back to it and it's um, it's going to be full steam ahead and there's going to be a lot. So I think it's amazing that you have that perspective right now and that you can really embrace that. What do you think about the four weeks after birth? plan i I know it didn't work out for you that way but but there was a reason why right like i think think? it's the mentality to have like you know of course you have to have a plan and we know like when something when there's a hiccup in the road or something happens you pivot and you figure it out and i i mean i wouldn't change going into it like having a plan i think it's that's how you do it it was interesting one of you i think said like you didn't have it was hard to find reference points and playbooks of other people that had done it is there anyone you've like either and you don't have to name them but like being in touch that's been helpful or have you like studied anyone whether it's like serena or vika or allison and said well she was back then and this is my type of plan um well for me uh, my trainer abdul he actually trained uh someone that was pregnant before like shortly before um so like when we're doing stuff and i'm like telling him oh, I'm not sure if I'm okay to do this or whatever. And then we talk to the doctor and then there's like this whole process. But um, in the end, there is a little bit of a reference point, but I also push myself a lot. So uh, I I agree uh, when you say if you get tired, then you listen to your body. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's amazing that you have that support system where, you know, you have help figuring out like the path forward. Um, And I know you're coming back to tennis. And um, I I guess I'm really curious to know how you felt about motherhood. Like, did you have any concerns or fears? I, I guess for me, when I thought about starting a family, it was always something I felt like I had to wait to do. And I don't think it was because anybody like sat me down and told me that, but I think it's because of what I saw at the time. So when I was competing, it was it wasn't really celebrated. And what I saw instead was like women really struggle through um, starting a family. And so I'm, I think right now it's really shifting. And I love that you're going through this and having a daughter, like, this is what she gets to see. Like, you don't have to choose, you know, but I wonder, like, did you feel that? Did you feel like you were free to do what you wanted? Or was there anything still pulling at you as far as, you know, pressure to not 
start a family during your career? Um, yeah, actually, there was a lot of pressure I felt for me. Um, and I don't know. For me, I've always had the assumption that if you have a kid, it's basically the end of your career. And um, I don't know. I don't really see a lot of women on the tennis tour with kids. They're usually a bit older and um, like it just seems like a very hard like taxing on your body. Yeah. Um, and I just never really thought like if I had a kid, would I go back on the tour? Like I, I always had that question in my head. Um, but I don't know. I, I really feel like this it was like a magical moment for me. And then it just made me think of like all the things I love and appreciate in my life. Um, and it just made me really want to, you know, like I've played tennis uh, since I was three and I want to appreciate the time that I can still play. So it made me want to work harder. Like I can't right now, but um, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> hopefully I will be able to soon, but um there was a lot of, like, I always wondered what my sponsors would do and stuff like that. And um, it was definitely really concerning. But then I was thinking about it and I was um, in my head. I was like, I wonder why uh, guys that are younger than me and around the same age as me aren't able to have kids. And they're kind of just walking around like everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it irritated me a little bit um, because I felt like I was a lot more accomplished than them, mm -hmm. but they weren't dealing with any of the repercussions yeah. um, that women have if they need to have kids. So that um, kind of softened the pressure for me. Yeah. Well, I just have to tell you that like you're creating change right now. So all of the pressures that you felt what you're doing right now, the generation coming up, um, they won't have to deal with it as much because you are that role model now. Like you are the one who they're watching and they're seeing like, oh wait, this is possible. Like this doesn't have to be the end of my playing career. Like I can still go on to greater heights. And I think it's so important to just be able to see that. I know for me, cause I had those same feelings, same pressures, didn't know what was gonna happen. Um, and I did wait so long and I wish I, my dream for my daughter, if she goes down this path is like, that that's not even a, a question. And it's not that she has to be a mother, but that she has the option that she can be a mother whenever she wants to on her own timing. Yeah. There was something you were saying there about, you know, the men don't have to deal with like the repercussions of it. And I feel like pregnancy in the corporate world, sports world, sponsorship world, you know, for men, it's just kind of like, whatever. A man could say like, oh yeah, you know, I'm having a baby and people are like, ah, congratulations, great. And they just move on and they don't think about it. They don't think about like, I'm thinking sponsors right now. They're not thinking about themselves. They're not like, ah, man, him having a baby, like it's not gonna be as good anymore. If anything, they're like, this might pull him out of the club. Like maybe he's gonna actually be like, focus a little bit more, you know, but I feel like for women, I know when we were going through this, like it was the words used were like injury, you know, like, or we were, we were hearing someone talk this weekend and they were talking about how, um, like a lot of times like maternity leave is viewed as a disability. And like these things that I think as a guy, I never had to think about, 
like never crossed my mind until I started going through it with Allison. And I think because of our, our working relationship and then also, you know, being siblings, like it became this thing where I was like, this is, this is so horrible. Like this can't be how it is. Like this cannot be how this actually works. Like you're telling me my little niece who I love like more than anything is coming into the world and we're talking about her like she's an injury or a disability. Like how does that work? And I think like to what Allison's saying, like you, you are being the change right now. And, and Allison, you have been the change. You know, there was something I really want to ask you, Stu, just kind of about that sponsor sponsorship process. But there was something as you were talking that I was thinking about that. Do you know who Lauren Hill is? <laughs> you seem you seem cool that way. Like you wow. Were, but like, you know, you, you know, you, yeah. So Lauren Hill has this song and there's a line in it. I think the song's called is Zion. Yeah. And when she says like look at your career, they said, Lauren, baby, use your head. You know, I think that like, when I think of that, that song to me, like that embodies both of you in such a beautiful way. And I think that, you know, Allison couldn't have done what she did without the women like Lauren Hill who walked away from their whole career for their family, you know, like, and then it paves the way for her that paves the way for you. And you know, and what you all are doing is, yeah, it's it's un, it's unbelievable. You know, and I think you'll look back on your life, and it'll be surprising the the things that will that you'll be most proud of. You know, um, but it's really cool, and I love that you knew exactly what the song was. Too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stu, like, I've sat in your seat of getting that call from your client saying, like, "Hey, really exciting news! Like, here's what's happening." And you're like, yes, really exciting. But wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I still need to pick up the phone and call all these people. Will will it be exciting to them? Um, right. How? Yeah. How was that? <laughs> um, and I should have called you and been like, well, I guess you, I, I should have called you. You actually. made the you made the call before I knew. You. So yeah, yeah. Um, how was it? It was well. I think, like, obviously, when when Naomi first told me, it, it was like, just obviously just delighted for her and happy for her. Um, but then there's the moment where you realize you have to make all these calls you allude to, but I think like there's a stage in between where, and it, it doesn't happen immediately. We actually took about a month where I didn't really want to press you on anything. But then after a month I was like, and what's the plan? Like it's a different call if you're calling to say, no, we having a baby and has no plan, which is, absolutely her right and would have been fine or to say Naomi's having a baby and, and she doesn't want to play anymore or to call and say Naomi's having a baby and Naomi wants to come back and if she does come back you know you need to understand that nothing is for sure and like this is her plan today but things happen like Allison said so we don't want to have a timeline and we don't want to have the pressure of a date to come back even though I think you tweeted a, a date to come back but, <laughs> but, but that was kind of the conversation I think that was important for me to have um, that information because it people are going to ask questions and to have the answer was really helpful in delivering the news I thought. Um, so I would say, you know, we have, I would say almost every single conversation went really, really well. I think, um, to be very honest, the most important conversation for me and for us was probably our Nike conversation, which wasn't really a conversation thanks to what you had done. So we, that, that situation was already covered in advance. 
um, there was a clause in the contract which which defined exactly what would happen and if Naomi was pregnant and that all came on the back of um, of your experience with them. So I think, you know, it, now we have to give them a lot, of, on our side, we were really a lot of credit to them for, um, and I think they learned so many lessons from, from your experience too. I think they've been, maybe you have a different opinion than me, but they've been great with it in terms of, you know, do you want to keep your line going? Do you want to do stuff in maternity? Do you want to do baby? Like they've given you all the options and been and been great. And I, I think um, that is all due to, to you. So thank you. Um, so so that one was the easiest one, actually. It's probably the hardest one for you, but the easiest one for us because it, it was, um, you know, a direct reflection on previous experiences for them. And then the rest of them um, were, were almost entirely very positive, um, very supportive, Oh, everyone open to um, different mechanisms that we proposed in terms of maybe some got paused or some would, you know, there was just, everyone was very open and to have, to finding creative ways to help Naomi and with her future plans. So um, I would say with the exception of probably only one company who I won't name, um, but everyone, we have 10, 12 sponsors and everyone was Excellent. So um, it couldn't have gone any better. Obviously, I had a bit of trepidation at the outset because yeah. you don't know how people are going to yeah. react. Um, but I was very fortunate that everyone took it really, really well and is really supportive and continues to be. Cool. I love that. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about allyship. But I think before we move on to allyship, like, let's dive into the Nike stuff a little bit. Because I think it's, I know for us, like when we talk a lot, you know, we've we've been really public um, in saying that things needed to change at Nike. And, you know, I think a lot of times, like, you know, Allison writes this New York Times op-ed and that gets released to the world and everybody sees that as like, oh, you hate Nike. And then I think like the change came and the change came really quick, three weeks later, right? And we always say like, that's amazing. That that's what they're supposed to do. Like getting it perfect, nobody's gonna do that. Right, but once you're faced with the opportunity to change, what are you gonna do about it? And then, is it gonna be genuine, right? And and I think that like the part that that Allison or that like we were really able to do together was was create the challenge, go and like call them out, and and it was terrifying. I like tell the story about how you know the op-ed was written. I'm sitting at the house. I'm talking to the New York Times editor, and I'm like, okay publish and you have no idea like what happens next i can't even imagine that no was, yeah. idea and yeah. like where i live like i don't get reception at the house or in the drive down the hill from the house it's like three minutes hit publish get in the car and i'm like all right i just need to like go for a drive like i i just felt like i literally just hit the nuclear button you know and i'm like and i didn't know what i hit the nuclear button on and i wasn't worried like Oh, poor Nike. I was like, did I just ruin my sister's whole career? I think this is the right thing, but is it? And I got to the bottom of the hill, notification on my phone, and I look, and it's an email from Nike. And it's not from any individual person. It's from like when they send out the contracts and it comes from like whatever the automated system yeah. is. And it's like Nike contract, whatever. And I'm like, and I pick up the phone and I call the editor back and I'm like, no, hey, did you already, don't, don't, they just sent another contract. Like I know, I know they changed the language in it. And I was like, oh wow. And I think they know what we're doing. And I pulled off on the side of the road. I go into a gas station. 
I'm on my phone, I'm reading the contract and I go through and this is the long form I'm like going through and I'm like, this looks exactly the same. I read it the second time. This is exactly the same. I read it 15 times. I saw nothing different. I'm trying to search for new words in it, like nothing. And I finally called the editor back and I'm like, hey, I don't think there's anything different here. And she was like, well, then why would they have sent it? And I was like, is it possible that they knew when I told you publish, did they know that? And like, this was to stall. And the thought was that we would send it to the lawyers and it would be another four days. And there was a little bit, you know, and we have no idea. What I do know is I said publish and 90 seconds later, I got an email from them with a contract that didn't change at all. And I think like what I hate about it more than anything is at least for me and your experience may be totally different, but what I hate about it more than anything is I can't say, or I can, but I'm not going to say the dude's name that actually this is all about. And it, like, I hate that there's 75,000 people at Nike that are doing such a great job. And because of one, two, three, it's viewed as Nike's approach. And I don't think it is Nike's approach. I feel like back then Mark Parker was still there. I was like, I feel like if we called Mark and we're like, hey, here's what's going on. I think he would have been like, that's absurd. What are you talking about? Like, yeah. no, 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 no. It's just not how it works, you know? Um, and so I think like, I just want to say in this space, like we don't have like, there's no reason to bash Nike because Nike, we called them out. We said, Hey, like you need to get better here. And they got better and they really did. And it meant we needed to leave. But to hear that that was like the easiest conversation for you guys means they made the change and it was real and it's not perfect. Right. But like, but it was real. So, and I think, um, that, that's super interesting that like, and obviously till, correct me if I'm wrong, but until today or until the last month, you probably had, there was no evidence whether it was genuine or disingenuine, Not something they had to do regardless. Totally. totally. But I think, and you should, I would be interested to hear what you think, but certainly from my perspective, it feels very, very genuine, very genuine. Um, which can only be revealed through experiences. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's been, I mean, I, I don't know. I want to hear what you think because you're on a different side of it than I am. But for me, it's been amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, I, when I first interacted with Nike, um, I met Phil Knight like almost immediately and I've never met like anyone in a head position. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was like a really big, like standing out point. Mm -hmm. um, of course, like the pregnancy news, uh, was something that I was really scared mm -hmm. um, to see their reaction. But I don't know, I, I texted Phil Knight and he was so kind and everyone mm. um, in my team at Nike was so kind. So I was really grateful for that. I love that. How does that, yeah. How does, how does that make you feel hearing? <laughs> I think it, it makes me feel really happy um, because I think it's the end result of everything that was really hard. I think it makes my heart break for my situation and all the women that I saw because I became a professional at 17 years old and I saw countless women have to hide pregnancies and go through a really difficult time. And I guess it's hard for me to think that like, well, you could have done this all along. <laughs> like it didn't have to be um, such a heartbreaking fight. But um, I think that sometimes 
like that's how you get to the other side. Like you have, there's no way around that. Um, and I think, you know, does this happen if you don't publicly go to the New York Times? I don't know. But that was the thing that, I mean, we asked for it before and it didn't happen. And then we publicly spoke about it and it did. So I think it's just one of those hard things where I'm happy at the end result. And I just wish that there wasn't so much pain along the way. But this is, you know, this has been what we wanted to accomplish. Okay, well, switching gears just a little bit, um, something else that I just really admire about you is your bravery um, to speak out and to push boundaries and um, your openness around mental health. And so I guess I've just been curious, how has that been to talk about? You know, I think it's, I don't know, it seems like you may not love like doing all that stuff, but how did you, how's your journey been, I guess? And like, where are you at with it right now as far as like being that voice? Cause I think a lot of people now like look to you as that kind of voice and the person who's really out there talking about it. Um, yeah, I would say, I would say I, I'm the type that really doesn't like to talk anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, so it is a bit uncomfortable for me to talk about it, but also I don't feel like I'm like I have the most knowledge in the world about mm -hmm. it, you know? So that's been kind of difficult balancing because I feel like I can only talk on my experiences and, you know, what I felt and what I've gone through. But then I realized like if that helps someone or if someone feels like they're in the same situation, then it's worth opening my mouth and yeah. talking about it. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think for me, kind of forgot most of your question. <laughs> no, you're answering it. I think that's the really cool thing is that you're just being yourself. And I think that resonates with a lot of people. I think a lot of people see themselves in you. And then I think you you give like a different option. Like you, you show that you can do things a different way. Um, like I loved when you were talking about, you know, the model that we've had with like press conferences. And I think that for a lot of people, like that's something, it's just, it's the way it's always been done. Like you always have to do that, but it's like you question that. And I think that's a really cool thing. Yeah, like I remember, you know, you standing up about this, this model around like press conferences and how that worked. And I remember thinking about Allison and how many times knowing her so well that I could see that little tiny bit of like wetness in the corner of her eye after she just won a silver medal and a reporter came up and is like, so what does it feel like to lose to the same person again at the Olympics? <laughs> and, and thinking like, I wonder if you realize how brave you are because like you, you talking when you don't feel like talking, it is, it's literally changing the world, you know? And I think that like people think you're you because of how good you are at tennis or Allison, people think you're you because of how fast you run. And like, it's the least interesting parts about you. Like that's just the platform that allows you to be brave and talk about the things that really matter. Um, but like, where does that bravery come from? <laughs> that's so funny. Um, okay. So I kind of have like this thing in my head that I say a lot. 
and it's uh it's i always tell myself like you're haitian you're not supposed to have any fear and it's because my dad's always like shouting like 1804 which is like you know the haitian mm -hmm. um, revolution so i say that to myself a lot and also i uh i was lucky enough to interact with kobe mm -hmm. um before he passed and he was always like saying stuff about passing it down to the next generation and so there's a lot of things that bothered me that i wanted to change if there was a kid younger than me that just came onto the scene and they were uncomfortable with um, interview questions and stuff like that. Because I felt like growing up, um, I don't want to say in the spotlight, but I guess in the interview room, mm -hmm. I have a very open character. So I'm very, still say this, sometimes I say stuff that I probably shouldn't say <laughs> in the press room and it often gets me in trouble, but mm. it's because I, I like, you know, I like journalists. I don't think they know this, but I like talking to them and I like hearing their questions. And for me, it's cool that someone cares enough about me to ask me questions like that. But slowly, I guess, as I started becoming more known, there's been people that I feel their energy is like to exploit what I'm mm -hmm. saying. Mm -hmm. So then I, I felt myself becoming a bit closed off and I felt my character changing and I didn't really like that. Mm -hmm. um, so then I was like at this point where I was thinking I need to take a break, but I can't take a break from it because then you'll get fined. But then I was like, I'm actually, I'd rather just take the fine than go through that with my energy. Mm. So That's so cool. I think that like I've been, I've been learning recently about asking more questions and this idea of curiosity. And it sounds like you're down with the questions if they're being curious, if their questions are genuine. But when you know you've it's got like an malicious. Angle. Yeah, you're yeah. not you don't you don't want to hear the answer. You already know what the answer is. You're leading me in this way. I think that escalated a lot over the pandemic too. Mm -hmm. Like in, in the ten, certainly in tennis journalism, there used to be, you know, a series of beat writers who were all quite respectful and knew knew tennis and, and knew the characters, so they knew what the questions to ask and it wasn't a gotcha tabloid style. And then over COVID, they opened it up where anyone could just come on on Zoom effectively. So then that opened it up to, you know, Daily Mail journalists, the Sun journalists, and the questions became very, very different. And I think a lot of the athletes really, you know, struggled with that. And it was quite unfair. Yeah, that's so true. And I love that word unfair, too, because I think a lot of times we forget that athletes, entertainers, that they're real people with real feelings. Yeah. And they do go home to real people who are like, can you believe they they asked me that in front of all those people like I know I mean tennis is extraordinary I, I doubt there's anything comparable but they 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 believe they're entitled to and if you don't do it you're fined to speak before your match and after the match win or lose so you may play the Wimbledon final and you've lost the most heartbreaking match of your life if you which you've trained 20 years for and within 30 minutes they expect you to speak to a crowd of about 25 people that you've never met before you know, if you're playing on a basketball team or if you're playing on an NFL team or if you're playing on a soccer team, the coach can take that burden. Mm -hmm. Not every player, you know, if you've had job. a really bad night, if you're you're on the free throw line and it's up to you to save the game and you miss that shot, you're probably not the one that's getting sent to press. Totally. In tennis, it's, it's an individual sport and they expect you every single time, even if you've lost. And I think that's crushing and, and yeah. I would say really unfair. Really unfair. And I think what's also crazy to me that makes me so angry, things that I'll hear at times are like, well, you know, 
still they still made a million dollars. So I'd I'd sit up there if I oh, that's this the worst. idea of it's like that money can remove your feelings or it can remove that you're like a real human that like again you didn't go out there to win for money. You went out there because you because you love it, because like you like bleed it, you know? Does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of times like, you know, for athletes like we do it regardless of what you're making and um it is like there's something that i think people just expect like and do feel entitled to and for in track and field you know you're interviewed this while you're still you know on the track and while you've just finished and at the olympics you know you go right to your press conference um immediately after and i think that in those moments like they're so huge and you've trained so long for them that it is hard. Like you, you don't know what someone's dealing with, you know, when you're up there and you're expected to answer all these questions. So I think, yeah, it's a really, I feel like you'd almost have a better perspective a week later. I say it all the time. What what do you, you haven't processed it yet. Exactly. Right after. I think there's something to like, okay, let's come back at, like, can you at least like get, I always feel like I'm like delirious. I don't even yeah. know what I'm saying. Like this isn't, I think this is helpful for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. I have like, I actually hate myself sometimes. I've had it maybe once with once or twice with you, but I've had it with other a couple other players where um, the player has been like crying after the match, and it's my job. I have to be like, well, you got to go in or you're going to get the fine. Sometimes I'm like, just take the fine or like let me afterwards. I'll try and get you out of the fine or whatever. But those are, I have to say that because those are the options that they're looking at, and like it feels horrible to put someone in that position. But you know, it's it's just mean I, yeah. I, I can't it's hard it's hard and it's and it's ugly right like and it's like what who, is it who wins from that for? situation yeah. yeah yeah it's like the yeah you didn't get any of that and then the other thing that get that irks me a lot is that um we got this at the at the moment of um Naomi's thing at the French Open was a lot of the journalists would say um well we as journalists like made you who you are we gave you the platform like it's all down to us and you know, I respect that the jobs journalists do and, you know, tennis is not the biggest sport in the world and they help uplift it and, and you know, they serve their role in the ecosystem and a lot of them are really, really talented individuals. But the idea that they made Naomi Osaka is just absurd. Ab- absolutely absurd. It's absurd. And therefore we owe them the press conference. I would argue 100% on the contrary. Totally. The amount of Japanese journalists that started coming to tennis events that didn't come before it's because of Naomi Osaka. The amount of British journalists that came when Andy Murray started doing well is because of Andy Murray. He gave them the careers. hundred And to argue the opposite is just yeah. staggering to it's, me. It's yeah. crazy. It makes no sense. Um, I think like just hearing you talk, Stu, it, it makes me curious about just like the working relationship the two of you have and and just this idea of, of allyship. Um, as a guy who works with women who like runs a business that's about making the world better for women. Like my whole life is focused on the world being better for women. But I feel really weird calling myself an ally. Um, But maybe starting with you, Naomi, like what is it like having Stu as a partner? And like, do you feel like you've got somebody like in your corner and we can we can edit this if we have to (laughs) (laughs) um no it's definitely really interesting for me um i have a really good relationship with Stu's wife too carly Mm, um 
she's kind of like my manager. Mm, I love that. <laughs> um, so I've always said, like, when I first moved out here, I didn't know anyone. So I'd always go bother them. So they were, they were like my mom and dad or like my aunt and uncle. And I always, I don't know. Uh, we kind of, no offense. Wait, it's not offensive. It's just the <laughs> truth. But like, we went through this rough patch um, a little bit ago. But I also feel like it was me growing as a person. Mm. Like I needed to figure out like what I wanted and stuff like that. So it was definitely really interesting. But I think at the end of the day, I always know like Stu's going to help me. Like not that I'm trying to exploit him. Yeah. But um, it's it's nice to know that there's someone that's always going to like have your back. And for me, I, I hope to grow to also have his back in moments that he needs it because i don't want it to be a one-way street um that's you hit something like super hard and i'm cutting you off Stu. but like i have you know i work with allison but i have worked with other athletes too and i'm right now like going through this transition out of some of the other athletes that i was working with and you know and as you're talking about that rough patch i feel like that's a part of it right because it's it's a relationship and it should be a part of it like if ever you have a perfect relationship, somebody's not being real. Like somebody's not being honest. Somebody's not, you know, like there's somebody's being real fake in it. Um, and I think that like the type of relationship the two of you have, that manager, athlete, agent, athlete, like it is a true partnership. And I think it's so cool that you can work through a rough patch and like talk about that instead of yeah yeah whatever like this doesn't i don't get exactly what i want in this right in that moment um because i mean i know Stu, and so i know the sacrifice but then also like it's hard right because it goes back to that thing we were saying like well yeah you just lost but you made a million dollars so it's fine you know like this idea that like people sacrifice just for money um and they don't i think that like I remember you were still with Adi and Stu and I were talking and you were saying that you were saying like, oh, I don't know, we're trying to figure out what's going to happen next. But I, rem I will never forget. I remember where we were, like the way that he talked about you. And this was before the open, like you hadn't won a slam yet. And the way he talked about you, I was like, huh. And I remember we were pitching another athlete together. And right. I, I remember thinking when the athlete decided not to go with us, I remember thinking like that kid just made such a mistake because he could never find a team as good as this. And it wasn't about like contacts. He couldn't have found the team better from that angle. But it was just like the way that there was genuine care, um, which I didn't plan to talk about that. But, I'd totally forgotten about that. But it was really, it, I rem I'll never forget it. It was so cool to hear the way he talked about you. And it wasn't. It wasn't Naomi Osaka at her absolute peak when the whole world is like, it was way before all of that. And um, and it was really cool. So I think it's really cool that like you see that and that you appreciate and value that, because I think I sit also on the other side of you being an agent. And I think I see sometimes when that doesn't happen. And when you're saying like, you know, how much Stu cares about Naomi, like I see people who go above and beyond and it's not just a client, but like you care about their life. And for me, like my best coaches, like the, the relationship that we have, it's more than just caring about like the professional side of things. It's 
how are you doing as an individual? How are you growing? How are you progressing? And so as a little sister, to me, I get really upset <laughs> sometimes <laughs> some of your clients <laughs> because I see the sacrifice. Like I see all of the things that goes behind it. And, you know, for whatever reason, when that's not appreciated, it just it's a really hard thing to to deal with. So I, I love this partnership. And I also love how it's evolved and how you guys now are co-founders together and the agency that you've created. And um, I guess my question there is really just about the people that you choose to work with and how you select them and how, you know, basically what does it mean to be a part of the Evolve family? Yeah, um, great question. I think... Um you know, it's, it's hard to define. It's like almost like a feeling or you kind of, you, you can tell, like, I think we, I mean, we only have two other clients, but they're both, I would say extremely unique. Um, there's no one really else like them. I mean, Nick, Nick Karios is, is Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you just laugh. The laugh is the explanation. Um, but I, so I was like, uh, I'm so bored with watching tennis. Like cause I've been doing this for 13 years so unless mm -hmm. it's Naomi playing like I, I if Roger was playing Rafa in the Wimbledon final like I would have no interest in watching and I love tennis I have a tennis background we, we but totally understand totally that. burned out <laughs> but he was the one guy I would always watch no matter what like something's gonna happen in the Kyrgios match I don't know if it'd be good or bad I don't know what I, I have no idea but it's gonna be entertaining um so I was always just a fan of his and it kind of the relationships evolved quite organically and like I, he's such a lovely guy actually um and I think he puts on a character I, you know, that he plays up to a character, which he is, and on court he has a different, um, you know, set of emotions, but off court he's like a really lovely guy um, and shares a lot of the same values that we have. Um, so he's a, he's a great client, a great person. And then we recently started working with Ons Jabur, who's um, a, a Tunisian player who's, you know, the most successful Arab, female Arab athlete ever. And and just, again, like a real trailblazer, like for that region to, and, I think it's so topical right now, the stuff that's going on in Iran. Um, the World Cup was just in Qatar. There's obviously a lot being said about the Saudis and for a woman to come out of that region and be playing tennis at the highest level and playing in Wimbledon finals and US Open finals is such an inspiration and a real trailblazer. So really, really, again, like I would say, really fits the ethos um, of, our, of our company. But um, I wanted to go back to like what you, what you both said as well, which was, um, well, two things. One is like, I feel like you need to have disagreements, otherwise you're just an enabler. If everything Naomi says, I say, great idea, let's do it. Then I really don't feel like I've done my job properly, even if I know a lot of the times I'm potentially, she's gonna be upset with me for saying it. I would rather have, have said it than not said it. Cause I feel like, you know, five years pass on certain things, certain <laughs> things and she's like, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> like, okay, so yeah, true. now you see it. So I think that's really important. And yeah. then the other thing is the people that I look at in our business that have, that that I think are the most successful and I like the way they've gone about their business have all been in long-term relationships with their agents and managers, whether it's you guys, um, Serena and Jill, Maverick and LeBron, Rich Kleiman and KD. The list is not very long actually. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for that because you can kind of, if you're able to come out the other side of like disagreements and struggles, you become you know stronger and you understand each other better. And um, yeah, I think. And, and I totally, the way in that totally too. agree with you on that. Like, I know for us, like we looked at, at like Mav and Rich and LeBron like early on. And like, that was someone that I modeled what we were doing after. But like, I think that long-term relationship, there's something that I feel now that I've had short-term relationships, 
I look and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, so you had a short-term relationship, but now you're starting all over again. Like who's keeping it kind of all together? And it doesn't mean that like the athlete, like Allison is always the boss on it, right? Like she tells me like, I'm interested in this. And it's like, okay, cool. Now my yeah. job is to go exactly. Like, yep. So like, you know, and then she can say, well, what do you think about that? And I'm like, okay, but if you're interested in that and we do this, we can do it, but those don't go together, right? Like you see that? And then she can be like, oh, okay, well. Or yeah. we're doing it anyway, because I love this. Totally. Which is which, totally fine too, totally, but like to And then we figure out how to put yeah. the puzzle pieces together. But mm -hmm. I almost look at it as like, you know, for the athlete, like you have your your vision, your master plan, your impact on the world. It's this big, beautiful puzzle. And you can have a bunch of different puzzle makers or you can have one puzzle maker, but like, it's still your puzzle. Like that part doesn't change. You determine what it's going to look like at the end. All we are, are like the person putting the pieces together Yeah. and you can have six of us or you can have one of us, but more than likely, I think you'll probably get the most consistency with one. If that person actually cares about completing the puzzle, if they don't, then yeah, you should get rid of them. Like if you don't think they care about the puzzle, you know, and I feel like, yeah, it's so new for me right now because all of my clients, I went through their whole careers with them until literally like this year. And it's the first time I, I don't have, I'm like, wait, what does this mean? Like, what am I doing wrong? Like, what, what is it? And there's so much, so much there. And for me, you know, we talk about the sacrifice, like I don't have a wife, I don't have kids, like almost 40 years old. And like, I remember again, Jill. I remember telling Jill at like 27 and she was like, well, like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to be you one day. And she was like, just be careful because my family, it's you guys. And she's like, and I love you guys, but I don't have any of those things. I gave my life to the clients. And I remember thinking like, yeah, yeah, cool. But like, how do I get the Aston Martin? How does that happen? How do I do that? And then like, I'll figure out the rest of that later. And now I look and I'm like, oh yeah, I don't have, I don't have anybody. Like I have my clients and, and you know, it's my sister. So that part's amazing. Hopefully she won't fire me. But like, <laughs> but my other clients, I'm like, yeah, no, like I get, I sacrificed for, for you. And then when they're just like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm cool on that. And it's like, you get hit with like a 16 second phone call. You're like, oh man, like, what am I doing with my life? And I think that like, that's where, when I say things like, I really look up to you, Allison, or I really look up to you, Naomi. It's, it's where my question around bravery comes of like, how do you do that? How do you just like step up and say, hey, I don't think that's serving me. So I'm gonna do something different there because I have so much respect for that and I think that it's where sometimes I think it like falls empty when you're like oh my gosh you're like my hero you know like it just falls empty but I do think that what you do when you speak up it like it's heroic like truly and that's not just because you're sitting here and I want to guess you yeah. up, but like it really really is it's so it's so cool and when your answer is like you know I'm Haitian I'm like <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. You know, like it's, 
it makes sense. It's so real and and it's really cool. Yeah, I'll just say one thing real quick, and then you should do more, more talking. No one wants to hear me. But the the, the 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 coolest thing about it all is like a lot of people sometimes come to me and like marketing genius, like the stuff you've done and like mental health and I'm like absolutely nothing to do with me whatsoever. Like I was all reactive. Like the um, the the thing like my you know one one of the greatest experiences that I went through with you is when. Um, um, it wasn't George Floyd, but it was the. It was just after that, and there mm. was another. Was it um, Ahmad Arbery? Yes. Yeah. I think it was that Ahmad, and then it was, was when the NBA stopped playing. Oh yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, the Orlando bubble. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, as she was playing the match, like this was all going on. So under the ticker on her match, I think it was on ESPN, was saying like NBA stops play, and I said to my wife, we, I was like, Naomi's not going to play tomorrow if she wins this match. And then sure enough, she came off the court an hour later and called was like, hey, so I'm not playing. I was like, wow, good for you. Um, and then we went through like, you know, it ended up we stopped the whole of tennis and so no one played the next day and it got like more eyeballs. We had the choice like, do you just pull out? Because I think you were mentally ready to pull out or, or do we take the day off tomorrow and then play the next day so that you get a 48 hour news cycle. They're not just talking about it for the evening that yeah. you pulled out. Like that's the way we make the most impact. So we did that. And then what Naomi did wearing the seven masks as she won the U.S. Open was like incredible. And that was, and I was nothing to do with that other than you were like, hey, do you think we can get these masks made in like 48 hours? <laughs> I was like, okay, we'll, we'll try. But like yeah. it was, both of those things were like 100% her idea, nothing to do with me. And like that's what made it like so special. They were not um, preconceived ideas to, you know, there's just genuine from the heart moments that were done in the heat of the moment, which was just and incredible. I, and I think that's why it resonates. Right, yeah. like right. somehow it cuts through because it's real. But like, what? Again, like, why? What made you? What made you want to do that? Um. Hmm. Well, I think for me it was like that whole COVID moment, and it just made me think on like, no day is promised, but what? can I do with the life that I have right now? And like, how can I change stuff for the better? But not even like that broad, but like, what can I do in this second that could hopefully help someone out um, around the world or something? And then I was watching everything happen. And for me, it just reminded me of Trayvon Martin. And that actually impacted me a lot. Uh, when I was younger, because it just made me really scared. I just remember feeling really scared. And I I realized like I have two, well, I guess three nationalities. And I was talking with some of the people in the tennis world and you know, cause they're, they're not really American, they're like European or Asian and stuff. And they had no idea like anything at all that was going on in America. And every time I would tell them um, something that happened, they would be like, that's unbelievable. That can't have been true or something like that. So I think the first thing that popped in my head was just wanting people to be more aware and have more information um, if they wanted to like learn more and stuff like that, um, to be able to do that on their own time. So that's the first thing that popped in my head. I would love to ask you a little bit more about like 
kind of what we were talking about before we started recording. Um, did you grow up with language of understanding mental health or was it something that like, how, how did that come about that you not became a mental health advocate? Cause I feel like that always feels like so kind of like grandiose, but like, I don't know if you view yourself that way, but like, how did you even know what mental health was? And then what made you start talking about it? Um, so I actually didn't know what mental health was. And uh, when I was growing up, there was like no one really talking about it. I think honestly, the first time I heard about it was after I pulled out um, a French Open. But I would say growing up, it's not like I had a dark childhood or anything. It's just everything was so focused on tennis. And then actually, like the first moment I felt like really depressed and sad was after I won Indian Wells the first time and uh, went to Miami and then I went to Charleston and I was winning. And then I just woke up one day and I was thinking to myself like, because uh, my mom retired after I won Indian Wells. Mm. And for me, that was one of my biggest goals in my life. Yeah. I was like, I've seen my mom wake up at four in the morning to go to work. I hope one day I can like let her not work anymore. Yeah. So then I just woke up one day in Charleston before one of my matches and I was just thinking like, what is the point of my life? Mm. And I was thinking, should I, should I just go buy a farm and like mm. grow like crops? And I know that's like the like primitive-ish life, yeah. but I'm wondering if that could like, you know, spark something in me again. And I was sitting there and, but then I had to go play my match. So I was playing my match and I was like crying. Mm. <laughs> I was crying in my match, but then I won, but I was thinking in my head like, wow, I hope this girl beats me so mm. I don't have to be here anymore. Mm. Um, but that was kind of like the first incident. Yeah. And then I didn't really know what it was. I just thought maybe I was just super tired and burnt out. So I took a little bit of a break and then started playing tournaments again. And then it happened again after I won the US Open in Beijing and I was just in China. <laughs> the same thing, I was in China. I was hoping this girl would beat me and I was crying on the court and whatever. And then I just kind of thought to myself, like, I don't know what this feeling is. I don't know how to describe it. And I also don't know how to fix it. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm gonna have to live with it for the mm -hmm. rest of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and then it got to a point after I won the Australian Open for the second time that I'm like, I. I need to do something about it because I don't want to keep living this waste. Totally. That's like, it's so beautiful to hear you talk about it. I can, I can resonate with it so much. And, but I didn't, I wasn't able to figure it out as quickly as you. And I think it's, it's so cool that at 25, you can, you just have that, like that wisdom in you to be able to, to look at it. But I remember, you know, I was talking to my therapist recently and we were talking about just this term mental health and how it, you know, it's starting to get like just used so much that like, I think it's almost starting to lose its value. And I, I said something where I was like, oh yeah, mental health this. And she was like, well, when you really think about it, like her name's Debbie, she's amazing. And, and I, in my head, I call her Debs. And I'm like, you know, what, like, what, what do you mean? And I asked her like, so what do you mean? Like, what 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 are you talking about? And she was like, "Well, there there are appropriate emotions. Like we have actual natural emotions. Like being sad 
is a good thing. That's a healthy, natural emotion. Being angry, healthy, natural emotion. Like the issue is when you're winning Australian, it's not like natural to be sad in that moment. And so like that's where mental health starts to come up, right? Is like you're feeling the almost like the wrong emotion at that time and not wrong because it's what you're supposed to feel in that moment but you're you're trying to figure out like why do i feel this here and i remember those feelings like so much of like i'm supposed to be happy now i think like or maybe i'm just always going to be sad maybe i don't get happy about stuff um but i i was telling you earlier before we started recording that you know something that i'm so grateful to you for is that you are putting you're putting a name to so many people's feelings. Um, and and I wish, you know, I wish that I would have had somebody who was doing that. And I sounds like you wish you would have had somebody who was doing that too. But like now you are that person that's doing it. And 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 that's gotta be, it's really cool, but that's also gotta be really hard to constantly be going places where other people haven't gone. That's something that I feel like, you know, you've done too, Allison. Like maybe just between the two of you, what does it feel like to go places people have never gone before? Well, I just say that I think when you're going through it to me, like you don't know the impact that you're going to have. And it's like, it just can feel hard. And it's like, okay, well, what's even the point of this? Like, does it even matter, you know, as anything? And then I think you start to, sometimes it's way down the line, but then you start to see like the ripple effects of it. And then it's like, okay, this is why I'm doing it. It's that like little reminder, but I think it's hard. Like it's, and it doesn't, it's a struggle um, that you don't know. I think a lot of times you feel like, oh, at least me, I feel like, like, does this even matter to anybody? Like, you know, are they even ever going to see me? Um, but I think that it, it, like it does come. Yeah. I feel like that's something you said as you, you know, Allison retired this past summer, like, at the end of your career, you had your last race. And I feel like that's something that I heard from you um, that broke my heart was kind of like, what was the point? Why did I do any of this? Can you tell us a little bit about that feeling? And then are you still feeling it now? I think like in sport, you like sacrifice so much and like you give so much of yourself and it's a hard life. You know, it's a life that is not it's, it's just not easy. You know, you're on the road and you're overseas and you're missing like the birthdays and the funerals and the, the weddings. And, um, and so all that's hard. And I think like, I think retirement is, there's something so final about it and the sport doesn't stop. Like it goes on and, you know, it goes to new heights. And I think sometimes it feels like you're just kind of forgotten and it's like, okay, it's, it's just on to the next. And then it's like, wow, I just spent 20 years of my life like pouring into this. It kind of feels like I didn't really matter that much. And I think it goes in waves because, yeah, I think I'm at the very like beginning of it. So I'm like figuring it out and working my way through it. But I think that that's like the real emotion of it. So like for someone like Naomi, who still has a full career ahead of her, if she wants it, um, what would you, what would you say? What would your advice be on that, that feeling of sacrificing everything? And then at the end of it feeling like, huh, was it worth it? Do what makes you happy. 
you know, people are going to have their expectations and they're going to be critical. They're going to have their thoughts at the end of the day, like you are what matters. And if you want this, then that's great. But if you don't want it, and if you don't want it for a year or two years, like that's also perfectly fine. Like you don't owe anybody anything. So if tennis makes you happy and it brings you joy, I, you know, do all the things, break, break all the records. And, but I think just listen, listen to yourself and trust yourself. Like don't let anybody sway you. Um, because at the end, it's a lot of entertainment for a lot of people. And for you, it's actually your real life. Mm, that's really good. Um, all right, well, let's move on to kind of our final question. But before we do, Stu, I just wanted to ask you, um, why do you do this? Like, why? Yeah, why, why did you devote your life to helping other people achieve their, their dreams? Never even thought about asking myself that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was a, a I, I was like quite good in school. So that led to studying law at university, which led to being a lawyer, which got me to a point in life where I was like my mid twenties and working in a big firm in London. And I just thought, this is awful. Like, I hate this. Um, I'm miserable. Um, and in fact, like it was back in the last recession in sort of 2008 and they came in like one day to like tell people that they were getting cut and I wasn't even there. <laughs> I didn't even want to show up. So, so I was like, you definitely got the right guy. <laughs> so on the back of that, you were able to take like a small sum of money, which I used to go and, and study uh, in the US because I'm from the UK. And um, I was just clueless as to what to do. And um, Andy Murray's mom, if you know Andy Murray, the tennis player, she was my coach, tennis coach when I was a kid. And she introduced me to, I wanted to be a lawyer at like Nike or IMG. I was like, well, at least that'll be more interesting than, you know, doing it at a big corporate firm. Um, and one thing led to another and I started working with athletes and tennis players and, um, yeah, just, I've just been on that ride ever since. And I really love it. Like, I love what I do. Um, and I love like as much as I love, I would say still like the highlight of my career would probably be, um, when Naomi won that U S open wearing the masks, but it wasn't because she won the U S open cause she won three other majors that I would put, wouldn't put up there with that. But it was like, the effort to win a major, I think to win seven matches in a row and it's two weeks. And this one was even in a bubble and it was like so intense. And the week before she'd done what we already spoke about previously. And like, it was just to achieve that feat was incredible. And I think, and and we've never really spoken about it, but I think your motivation was like, well, now that I've done this, I got to win it. Like I can't just wear these masks and go out in the forefront. So like, you must've had so much dedication and desire to win. Cause I remember I saw you after, Normally what we do after if you win a major, you go and maybe do like the Ellen show or a couple, mm-hmm. you know, you use that moment to go on Jimmy Fallon or whatever. She was like, I am not doing anything. Like I am done. And I could see in her eyes like, oh my goodness, that must have taken like the most amount of energy and stress that I've ever seen in my life. And it was remarkable to watch. So yeah, those things kind of give me joy and happiness yeah. as opposed to just the wins and losses. Because if you tie it all to wins and losses in our job, like you'll go, you'll go crazy. So it's going to be the worst. Yeah. Um, yeah cool cool yeah all right well we want to ask you the question that we ask all the guests um and it's really about your mountaintop moment and we get this idea of mountaintop from michelle obama and she talks about you know reaching the greatest heights um but not stopping there and kind of extending a hand down and helping 
someone else. And what I love is just like listening to someone's idea of what their mountaintop moment is, because it's often not what's expected. Um, so can you share with us a mountaintop moment? I'm sure you've had plenty in your life, but one. <laughs> uh, um, you know, okay, so I have two. One, I think, is when I played Coco Golf in the U.S. Open. I don't remember what, 2019 maybe? Uh, and for me, I grew up in the same area as her, and I've watched her play with her dad, and I, I knew that she was going to be great. Um, so it was just really emotional just to play her in the Arthur Ashe Stadium, and like we're both two I'm not a kid anymore, but I felt like we were both two kids that came from this one area and we're like in the biggest stadium in tennis. So um, that was really cool. And just uh, I remember inviting her to talk after the match and um, just feeling really emotional about it because I felt like this is what sports is about. Um, for me, I felt like it wasn't about winning or losing. It was about two people fighting as hard as they can. And then afterwards, you just embrace each other because you know it was a hard fight and you appreciate, you know, the other person's efforts and what they bring to the table and stuff like that. So I think that might be one of the most memorable moments for me. And then I would say the other one would be right now. Um, because I, I feel like for me, I don't I try not to live in the like, I don't want to say the past, but I'm a very curious person. So I look towards the future a lot and I'm just really I'm really excited. I love that. That's so cool. We're excited for you. Yeah, totally. And there was something you mentioned earlier that we forgot to talk about the poster moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> OK. Um, so I used to so I grew up in Florida, so uh, I used to go to the Sawgrass Mall with my mom and my sister a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was always this giant poster of you that we would pass by and they would never change it. And I would always walk <laughs> by it and be like, oh my God, she's so pretty. I want to be like oh her. My gosh. <laughs> and um, it was it was always like showing you this running pose. Uh -huh. So then my dad would always make us go like run these laps or run miles and whatever. <laughs> And then when I'm running, I'm always like, I'm gonna be as fast as Allison. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so uh, that's awesome. so cool. That's that's, yeah, so that's super special to me. Makes, that, yeah, that is the best. <laughs> that's really cool. Um, thank you so much. Oh, this you. was really cool. Thank you yeah. both. It's very so special. great having both of you guys here. was really good. It's something that I would have loved to hear when I was still competing. I feel like it would have been so helpful. Um, so many of the things that Naomi talked about really resonated with me. And I felt like as a younger athlete and just person in general, um, I think I really would have benefited from it. But I still, even right now at 37 years old, felt like I had lots to learn there. Yeah, there was so much that stood out to me. I think um, 1804 is something, you know, when, when I was asking Naomi, where does your bravery come from? 
um, and as she shared what she would repeat back, it it really blew me away. And, and I guess it made me want to ask you, where does your bravery come from? I think it's something similar to what she's saying. I think it's like, it's your heritage. Like mm. it's, I think about like mom, nana, granny, like all the strong women that I came from. And when I'm in like those moments of like doubt, it's like, well, this is just like who I am. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Um, and her mountaintop moment, as she was talking about that mountaintop moment, um, you know, not again, like we say over and over again, not what I would have expected. That wasn't the moment I would have expected her to say, um, but also the idea of being present, like her mountaintop being right now that it's happening. Um, did that resonate with you? Definitely. I mean, she when she started to talk about how this is the first time that she's like paused and like took a break and taking time for herself and like being excited to me that just like hit me at my core because I when I was competing I never took a break you know even when I was pregnant like it just it never stopped and so to be at her age and to understand you know how important that is and how special it is I just I love that for her and that she has that understanding to be present mm, yeah I I loved how she ended this episode with I'm just really excited. I think like that's my big takeaway, like to be able to look out on your life and be able to say I'm excited for what's coming next. I think uh, that's the goal. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was an incredible conversation. Thank you for your vulnerability on it, Allison, because that is um, it's hard to show up especially to show up in, in front of the whole world. So, so thank you. And thank you to all of you for spending time with us this week. We hope that as you scale your own mountaintop, you take time to reflect on the lessons you're learning and the opportunities you'll have to inspire others.